0: What a wonderful song as we move into this time of reading Isaiah come thou long expected Jesus they sang. do we think about that come thou long expected Jesus sometimes it's hard isn't it to go back in time to a place where Jesus is coming is not come yet. To a people who are suffering to a people who are wondering what God is going to do if God is going to move and act and he comes you know as children help light the advent candle, I think it's an appropriate uh, group of people to help light it because I think they have an anticipation for Christmas that we don 't often have these days. Maybe some of us are even dreading Christmas right but for children they're looking forward to that they 're expecting something they 're looking forward to whatever it is. And we're going to journey today back to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to read words that were written hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. And these words are words to a people who need to hear from God. Now, we're going to be looking um, at the ESV translation this morning. I printed that out on this yellow sheet for you. The reason that we're going to this translation today is because I like the headings and the groupings of this translation and so I'm going to be reading the passage uh, from the ESV this morning we would typically read the NIV but I want you to pay special attention to the headings uh, this morning. There are 11 verses in our text today and there's an introduction and then there are three, three verse stanzas and we're going to kind of walk through this together. The first two verses really set the tone for the rest of the text. Now, if you've been reading Isaiah up to chapter 40, you'll know that, it's, uh, that God is speaking to his people in judgment. Uh, the people of God are far from God, and God's words are words of judgment, warning the people. We know the people are going to go into exile, but these are words of warning. But when we come to Isaiah chapter 40, the tone shifts. God is telling the people that he's going to rescue them. He's telling them that their sins are going to be forgiven. And the people of God, they had been carrying out these acts of worship, but the motivation of their heart was not pure, and God was not accepting their acts of worship, and God was telling them they needed to get things right, right? They needed to uh, primarily focus on who God is and what God is doing. And again, the people are turning from God. Again, they're going into exile. But here, the words in Isaiah chapter 40, God is coming in comfort. He says in verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double all her sins. Now look at these words with me. Comfort, you see that word twice in the text. If you use a pen and you highlight your Bibles, you might even circle the word comfort there. And then the words speak tenderly. These words describe the posture of God. God's words were words of judgment prior to this. And now God is looking at his people and he is speaking tenderly to them. How many of you have ever been in a place where you're weighed down by sin or addiction? You're burdened with the the burdens of this world and whatever they are, it's it's a time when you need to hear God's voice, but you don't need to hear God's voice in judgment, you need to hear it in comfort. And so God is speaking to his people. Now you might note that the people of God are going to go into exile after hearing these words. Exile will be a place where the people of God will be carried off to a land that is not their own. They'll be living under a government that is not their own. And they may be thinking at that time that God has abandoned them, that God has left them. But these words will continue to be with them, these tender words of God, God's promise, if you will to come in a different way it's a breath of fresh air to the people of God let's look at what he says in verse 3 a voice cries in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places the plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, how many of you have heard those words before, right? You've heard them because they're in all four of the Gospels, right? Who is he talking about? Does anyone know? You can say it out loud. John the Baptist, exactly. We read it earlier in Mark. Matthew chapter 3, verse 3 says, This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Again, the people of God, they'll be going into exile. They'll feel like God has abandoned them and left them. But ahead is something special, a highway for our God. And there'll be one who will proclaim that. Mark chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 says, It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Who is John? John is the one announcing Jesus. John is preparing the highway for our God in john's gospel john in fact was asked who are you and how did he respond he said i am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness what's he doing he's pointing back to isaiah and he says what isaiah said then to the people of god then is coming to fruition now again he's pointing to jesus a highway for our god you might say what does that mean a highway how many of you have ever traveled on a highway right It's an easier way to go. We used to live um, in Illinois and then in Indiana, and we would often make trips down. uh, After Christmas, we would go down to Georgia to see our family. And if you leave Indiana or Illinois, you're in cornfields most of the way. It's flat, right? And you're just traveling along, but then you hit Kentucky and then Tennessee. And what happens to the land? It becomes hilly, right? And I've often thought driving down in that part of the country, wow, I'm sure glad we have an interstate system these days, right? The the interstate system often goes on top of the mountains and sometimes through a mountain, through a tunnel, right? And can you imagine how long it would take to make the trip from Illinois to Indiana to Georgia if you didn't have a highway, right? It took us a long time because we had small kids, maybe nine or ten hours, but it would take days if you... We're winding around every mountain, going down through every valley. And so Isaiah is saying, the words of God are saying, there's going to be a highway for our God. God is going to come in a way that's doable, in a way that's accessible. And so when Jesus shows up, Jesus is a highway for our God. What does it say the highway will do? It says, the the valleys will be raised up, mountains will be laid low, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. All flesh will see it together. He's talking about Jesus coming. Isn't it cool that Jesus is described as a highway for our God? Let's keep reading verse 6. This is the second stanza here. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh Is grass and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The voice is speaking again. The first answer, the voice said, prepare the way. The way is described as a highway for our God. The second verse, the voice summons us to cry. And we're asking, what are we supposed to cry? It's a fascinating description here. We're to cry, all flesh is grass. That's interesting, isn't it? What is flesh? We are flesh. And so we along with all other people are grass. Why are we to cry that? That might seem a bit strange, right? But there's power in that confession, isn't there? see grass comes and goes grass is temporary it doesn't live forever you know we have this dynamic over and over again in scripture this dynamic that we're not going to be here forever that what we are living in now is temporary it will be gone one day now don't take this the wrong way we're not worthless It's not that we are without value, we are extremely valuable to God. Flowers in the field are beautiful and they have great value. Grass has value, but it's temporary, it doesn't last forever. You know, we all know this, don't we? We all have a sense that we won't be here forever. Steve Jobs, uh, who was not a Christian, once said this as he was facing death. He said, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered To help me make big choices in life because almost everything all external expectations all pride all fear of embarrassment or failure these things just fall away in the face of death leaving only what is truly important now he's not a person of faith but he understood his own mortality and he understood that there is power in understanding our mortality now, as Christians, as followers of God, it's not just about having clarity in life. It's about depending on God. It's about trusting in God. It's about knowing that God will always be there even when we are not. And so when the voice says, cry, all flesh is grass, that's what it's talking about, understanding our mortality. Neil deGrasse Tyson, another person who was a scientist, uh, not a person of faith, he was, um, he was asked whether or not It would be good if we could live forever. And this is how he responded. He said, it's better to be alive than dead, though more often than not, we take being alive for granted. The question remains, if you could live forever, would you? To live forever is to have all the time in the world to do anything you ever wanted. He says, if you live forever, then what's the hurry? Why do today what you can put off until tomorrow. There is perhaps no greater demotivating force than the knowledge that you will live forever. If true, then knowledge of your mortality may also be a force unto life itself. The urge to achieve, the need to express love and affection now, not later. Mathematically, he says, if death gives meaning to life, then to live forever is to live a life with no meaning at all. For these reasons, death may be more important to our state of mind than we are willing to recognize. Now again, not a person of faith. And for him, it's a motivating force to live life to its fullest, right? But for followers of God, it's more than that. It's more than just having clarity in life. It's understanding that we are not here forever, but that God is here forever. His word will endure forever. The people in Isaiah's day will not be around when Jesus comes, right? they're saying we're grass but God is faithful his word is faithful this group of people will come and go we will come and go there have been people who have sat in the pew where you're sitting right now who are no longer here I can say this because we're in a building that's over 150 years old right it's easy to say that and God willing there will be people here after we're gone You see, it's important to understand this as Christians. It's appropriate to understand our mortality. And in doing so, we understand God's eternal nature. Let's move on to the third stanza. Look at verse nine. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Isaiah says, go get the guy who makes the announcement. Send him up to the hill with a trumpet. And here's the message. It's a message of good news. It's a message that God is going to show up. It's a message to not fear. That God will forgive us. He's going to gather us like a shepherd gathers his sheep. Do You see the language here? Look at verse 11. Gathering in his arms, carrying, carrying us in his bosom. Again, gently leading. It's a beautiful message, isn't it? And it's good news for you and for me. And while we might be grass, God is going to provide for us. This morning, when we look at Isaiah, again, we realize that these words were penned hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. But the message is clear. It's a message of good news. It's a message that God is going to come. God is going to be true to his promises. Now, we are here in the season of Advent and we are anticipating God coming. We're on the other side of Isaiah, on the other side of Jesus. Again, Isaiah was hundreds of years before Jesus and we're 2000 years after Jesus came. But these words are still true For you and me today the message is still relevant to our lives do we need God to come maybe we are in a place like the people in Isaiah's day maybe we're in a place where we're struggling with God maybe doubting God maybe struggling with addiction or grief we feel the weight of our world upon us, and we're wondering, what's God going to do about it? Is God going to come? Is he going to act? Is he going to move? And here, here in this season of Advent, we can remember that God has been faithful hundreds of years before Jesus to fulfill his promises in Jesus, and he will be true today. You see, Advent is a season not only where we anticipate the coming of Jesus the first time, but we also anticipate the coming of Jesus the second time. And we're reminded that he's going to come back. We're reminded that he's going to make the world right again. And because God was faithful the first time, he will be faithful again. And maybe we're in a place, maybe you're in a place, where you desperately need Jesus, like fading grass. It's a time when we can be assured that God will care for us. He'll pick us up like a shepherd picks up his sheep. He'll pick us up and gently carry us. If we're hurting this morning, God will be there. If we're suffering this morning, God will be there. If we're struggling in sin, God has the power to forgive. We we are reminded today that God has been faithful and God will be faithful. And as we celebrate his coming, we know that God deeply desires to pick us up and provide all that we need. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful for these words, these ancient words from Isaiah chapter 40. And while they may seem removed from our day and time, they are truly relevant for our lives today. God, you love us, you care for us. You provided a highway for us to come to you by coming in the flesh. God, we love you and we praise you. And we pray now that as we anticipate Christmas, we would also anticipate you you're working and moving in our lives we pray this in Jesus name amen